Welcome back to the Hemingway List, the podcast where we do things the Hemingway. We are talking about the Red and the Black, um, Book 2, Chapter 28. Julian is sort of a sociopath. Sort of. Is he? Is he or isn't he? He's very much, um, he's quite unfeeling, you know, and, um, cruel, you could say, you could argue, uh, but a sociopath, hmm, maybe not. Swims to the mumma fish, he says, I believe that Julian is an overwrought, emotionally immature young man rather than a sociopath. Stendhal has written Madame de Fervax as someone who it is hard to feel any sympathy for as she is being duped. This novel is nothing what I expected. I thought we were going to get treaties on French politics and French clergy with our protagonist wrestling with the great ideas of the time. Instead, we have a main entree of farce. I'm not complaining. It is quite farcical. I think you're right too, you know. I don't I don't think he's a sociopath, but you could call him that as a sort of exaggeration, you know, as an insult. Uh, and it would be quite fitting. Because just because of the way with the ease with which he plays these mind games with people in you know, they're always to do with these emotion uh this these romantic relationships and he's just so willing to lie and manipulate someone as a conquest rather than actual sort of romance um so it's it's quite cold-hearted jan brunt said to me there's an element of sociopathy and extreme antisocial behavior in julian's character you would have to have zero regard for someone's feelings to go through with this crazy plan for six whole weeks of course on the other hand does anyone think that Madame de Fervax would normally allow someone like Julian, a peasant and a son of a carpenter, to even speak to her under normal circumstances? Would she so much as look twice at him if her carriage ran him over? Probably not. We are to understand that she is pompous and obsessed with rank and propriety. Is this little scheme satisfying to Julian because it makes a fool of a grand lady? I didn't think of that, but uh, probably probably is yeah he does kind of like to um compare himself in the social ladder and anything he can do to pull them down a peg is certainly going to help him feel like he's catching up to them laura weistich says i don't think she'll ever care much when she when he stops giving her any attention she's very dull she'll just go back to her dull life i wasn't sure if she how dull she is or if it's just that we don't get much of a picture of who she is um, but yeah, I don't know a whole lot about this character, Madame de Favax. Let's keep reading. Chapter 29, it's called Ennui. To sacrifice himself to his passions very well, but to passions he does not feel. Oh, wretched 19th century. Giraud Day. Having at first read Julian's long letters without any pleasure, Madame de Favax began to conceive an interest in them. But one thing disconcerted her... What a shame that Monsieur Sorel isn't a proper priest. One might admit him to some kind of intimacy, but with that cross and almost bourgeois style of coat, one exposes oneself to cruel questions, and how could one answer them? She did not carry the thought through to its end, that a malicious friend might imagine, and even spread abroad, that this was some remote cousin, a relative of my father, some tradesman decorated through the National Guard. 
Up until the moment when she saw Julian, Madame de Favac's greatest pleasure had been to inscribe the word Marachal next to her name. And now a parvenu's vanity, morbid and vastly oversensitive, conflicted with the arousal of her interest. It would be so simple, said the Marachal to herself, for me to get him made a vicar-general for some diocese near Paris. But plain Monsieur Sorel, and also some kind of secretary to Monsieur de la Mole, it's too awful. For the first time, this soul was shuddered at. Everything was touched by an interest other than her pretensions to rank and social preeminence. Her aged porter noticed that when he brought a letter from this handsome young man, the one with so melancholy a mien, he was sure to see the disappearance of that absent and discontented heir the Marechal always carefully assumed at the approach of one of her people. The tedium of a way of life concerned wholly with trying to impress the world, though lacking any heartfelt joy in its own success, had become so intolerable since she had begun to think of Julian that nothing more was needed for her lady's maids to be spared a whole day's maltreatment than that she spend an hour of every evening before with this singular young man. His growing credit survived some very well-calculated anonymous letters. In vain did little Tambeau supply Messieurs de Luz, de Creusnois and de Calis with two or three extremely clever calumnies, which these gentlemen were pleased to spread around without looking too hard at the truth of the allegations. The Marachal, whose mind was not made to deal with such vulgar devices, would tell Matilda of her doubts, but was always reassured. One day, after having asked three times whether there were any letters for her, Madame de Favac suddenly determined to write a reply to Julian. It was a triumph for Inouye. When it came to the second letter, the Marachal was almost pulled up short by the indecorousness of writing in her own hand, an address as common as Monsieur Sorel, care of Monsieur the Marquise de la Mole. You must, said Julian, she said to Julian that evening in the driest tone, you must supply me with some envelopes addressed to yourself. Here I am being made into a lover and a valet combined, thought Julian, and when he bowed, he took pleasure in making grimaces like Arsene and Marquis' ancient servant. That same evening he brought her some envelopes, and very neat Early next day, a third letter appeared. He read five or six lines at the beginning and two or three towards the end. The whole consisted of four pages of small handwriting densely packed. Little by little, the pleasant habit of writing almost every day became established. Julian responded with faithful copies of the Russian letters, and such are the advantages of the high rhetorical mode. Madame de Favax was not at all surprised at their lack of correspondence to her own letters. How then would her pride have been chafed if little Tanbeau, who had made himself a voluntary spy on Julian's doings, had been able to inform her that all her letters were thrown at random, sealed intact into his drawer? One morning the porter was, carried a, was carrying a letter from the Marechal into the library. Matilda chanced across this man and noticed the address and Julian's handwriting. As the porter left, she went into the library. The letter still lay on top of the table. Julian very busy working, had not put it in his drawer. This is what I cannot tolerate, cried Matilda, grabbing the letter. You have completely forgotten me. I, who am your bride, your behaviour is appalling, monsieur. At these words, her pride, astonished by the shocking impropriety of her own action, began to stifle her. She melted into tears and soon seemed to Julian not to be in a fit state to breathe. Surprised, 
Confounded, Julian did not clearly discern all that might be happy and auspicious for him in this situation. He helped Matilda to a seat. She all but abandoned herself into his arms. The first instant he felt this movement of hers, he experienced an extreme of delight. The next he thought of Korosov. With a single word, I could wreck everything. So painful was the strain imposed by this politic thought that his arms went rigid. I cannot even let myself clasp this supple and delightful body to my breast, or she will scorn me and abuse me. What a terrible character. And while he cursed Matilda's nature, he loved it a hundred times more. It seemed to him he held a queen in his arms. Julian's impenetrable coldness vastly augmented the wounded pride eating into Mademoiselle de la Mole's soul. She was far from having the self-possession requisite to discover and read in his eyes what he felt for her at that moment. She could not bring herself to look at him. She trembled in case she might encounter an expression of scorn. Sitting on the library divan, quite still, and her head turned right away from Julian, she was prey to the most violent anguish that pride and love combined can inflict on the human soul. What atrocious behaviour she had been guilty of. It was reserved for me, miserable as I am, to have my grossly indelicate advances repulsed. And repulsed by whom? Added a pride that was wild and with misery. Repulsed by my father's servant. That is what I cannot tolerate, she said aloud. And getting to her feet in a fury, she pulled open the drawer of Julian's table about two feet in front of her. She stopped as if frozen in horror when she saw, when in it she saw nine or ten unopened letters, similar in every way to the one the porter had just shown her. She recognized Julian's handwriting, more or less disguised on each of them. So, she cried, beside herself, not only are you on good terms with her, but you even despise her. You are nobody. You despise the Marechal de Vivax. Ah, forgive me, my dearest, she went on immediately, throwing herself on her knees. Despite me, despise me if you wish, but love me, I cannot exist any longer deprived of your love. And she fell in a dead faint. Oh, so, thought Julian, here she lies, this proud creature at my feet. All right, there we go. It worked. What? So strange. <laughs> these two are so weird. Have your say about these two weirdos over at the subreddit. Thanks for listening and I'll see you tomorrow.